Man, it is so good to be here. I am so excited uh, about sharing this word with you today. And, um, and I, just want to, I just want to encourage you today. I hope that, that when uh, you leave here today that you feel like it's been good to be with God's people. You know what? I hope that you feel like, you know what? It's been great to worship the Lord. It's been great to hear from God's word. That's my desire today. But we're on a series, and the series has been titled A Place to Belong. And I want to tell you that I believe Silver Creek Church is a place to belong. I believe it. Our series, have we started with Come Together. And, and I, I tell you what, I've enjoyed every aspect of this. We talked about giving together. We talked about connecting together. Last week, we talked about growing together. And today, we're going to talk about reaching together. Now, you might say, why, Kevin, do we need to reach together? I'll tell you why. Jesus made it very clear in Matthew chapter 9, in verse 37, when he said this, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. That verse right there tells us why we need to reach together. The harvest represents those who are waiting to come into the kingdom of God. Did you realize that? There are those waiting to come into the kingdom. There are people waiting to come to Silver Creek Church. You just haven't invited them. You know how I know that? Because sometimes when people do, those people tell me, I was just waiting for someone to invite me. There are people waiting to come into the kingdom of God the same way. They're just waiting for one of us to invite them to come into the kingdom of God, the body of Christ. But the harvest represents those waiting to be brought into the kingdom. And the harvest, okay... Here's, my, here's for, for all of you that are farmers here. The harvest just doesn't just bring itself in, does it? It doesn't. Why? We have to be out there in the harvest field bringing that harvest in. And I got to tell you this. This is, a, this is a, a disparaging statistic, but LifeWay Research says that between eight and 10,000 churches close in America every year. Our population grows Our number of churches, we have many that close, we have many that open, but the number barely offsets. And so our our ratio between our population and the number of churches continues to get larger and larger between those two. We're going in the opposite direction. We must work together to bring in the harvest. You say, well, what do we need to do in order for the church to really reach Together, that's really what I want to talk to you about today. So I want to give you four things that the church needs to do in order to reach together effectively. And that's a word you're going to hear me say a lot. You're going to hear me say reach together effectively quite a bit. But number one, if you're, if you're using your bulletin to take notes, uh, make sure that you get this one. We need, number one, we need a mandate. We need a mandate. You say, well... What is a mandate? Well, a mandate is is an official order. It's a commission to do something. In our political process, when an official is elected by a a large margin, they, they, they believe then that the people have given them a mandate to go out and do what they campaigned and what they promised that they would do while they were running for office. 
as the church, we don't have to wonder if we have a mandate to do something. We have been given ultra, we've, been, we've been given numerous mandates, so we don't have to assume anything. So I want to quickly review those uh, different mandates, and there's four of them. Mandate number one is to make disciples. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, Jesus said this, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. When Jesus was speaking in, 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 in these words here, where he, when he was speaking to the crowd, it was a crowd of about 500. He wasn't speaking to just the 12, and he wasn't speaking to millions but he gave them the mandate to make disciples. We call this the Great Commission. They were called themselves disciples. So Jesus was telling his disciples that they needed to go out and make disciples. What he was really telling them to do is that they needed to continue to be disciples, but then they needed to duplicate themselves. And the first part of the mandate that we've received is to continue being disciples, but also duplicate ourselves and make others disciples as well. That's a big part of what God has ultimately called us to but I know that there's some of you that might be scared by, by that thought because you're thinking, hey, I don't know if I want anybody else to really be like me. I don't know if I want to duplicate myself. All right? But one way or the other, I assure you, you are duplicating yourself. It's already happening. The question is, are you a disciple and are you duplicating into others to become a disciple as well. You say, well, what happens, Kevin, if the church refuses to accept this mandate to disciple others? I'll tell you what happens. The churches in America will continue to decline. They will continue to close, and ultimately, there will be total spiritual failure in America. That's what will happen if we refuse. Mandate number two is to preach. Now, don't panic. Do not panic. When I say that, I know some of you immediately, you panic and you say, but you don't understand, I'm afraid of public speaking. Well, I want you to know that that's not really what we're talking about. In Mark 16, 15, he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Remember, he's talking to a group of 500, but they're not all preachers. Some of them would be, but not all of them are. That, that word preach, it means something different than getting up uh, in front of people on a Sunday morning and, and preaching a sermon. It means to proclaim, to make known, or to offer. I want you to think about that in terms of what Jesus has called us to do, that we would proclaim who he is, that we would offer him to others, that we would make him known. Preaching the gospel is anything that we do to offer the message of God's gift of salvation, pardon from sin, being saved by grace, and eternal life through repentance and faith. There's an old saying that, uh, that has been uh, made about preaching, and historically it's been, create, or it's been credited to St. Francis of Assisi, but there's a lot of disagreement as to whether or not he said it, and, and so I, I don't really know for sure, but I love the saying, and he says this. He said, preach the word 
or preach the gospel at all times, when necessary, use words. The point is, is that preaching doesn't have to take place through a sermon. And in order for us to reach effectively, we must literally decide that God has indeed called us and given us a mandate to make Jesus known in the earth. That's mandate number two. Mandate number three is a little word. It's called sent. John chapter 20 and verse 21, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. As the followers of Jesus, every one of us has been sent by Jesus just as he was sent by God. Now, as, as parents of teenagers know, there's a difference between doing something because you're forced to do it and accepting responsibility for actually doing something. You know, this begins really early in a child's life. I heard the story of a mom who had a toddler that was in a height chair. And the, the, the child was standing in the height chair. And of course, that's dangerous. And now they make seat belts. Man, when I was a kid, they didn't have any of those safety things, you know. The dumb ones just didn't make it, you know. But now they've got seat belts, and this kid was standing up, you know, and, and mom was telling this little one, you need to sit down. Of course, what, what's the first word that kids learn even before mom and dad? No. No. You need to sit down. No. You need, now mom's blood is starting to boil, okay, and, and I'm sure that mom probably came over there and, and, and gave a swift swat to that little one's backside and, and tears are flowing and, and the child just literally, you know how they, when they sit where they just, all their weight comes crashing down, okay, and it just comes down with a thud and the tears are flowing and the little one says, I might be sitting on the outside, but I'm standing on the inside, that's, that's, what, that's what we're like as, as humans. We, we don't necessarily always acquiesce. God sent Jesus to proclaim the gospel to the world, and Jesus is sending you and me to proclaim the gospel to our families, to proclaim the gospel to our neighborhoods, to proclaim the gospel to our communities and in order for the church to reach effectively, we must accept the fact that we have been sent. We have been sent by Jesus the same way God sent him into this world. Mandate number four is to witness. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. I know what you're thinking. When you think of that word witness, you think I've got to get gospel tracts, you know, I love it when you go into a restaurant, you use the bathroom, and you go to the urinal, and there on the urinal is a gospel track. I ain't touching that thing. I don't mean witness that way. 
Acts chapter 1, he said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the world. The word witness, it literally means in a legal sense, we are to testify everywhere we go uh, just the way they were. They were told they needed to testify to everything that they had seen and heard from and about Jesus. And as the followers of Christ, you and I have been called to testify exactly the same way. Let me illustrate. It was a number of years ago, our family was down at the Dells. And Benjamin and I were sitting uh, in, a, in a couple of lounge chairs alongside uh, one of the many pools that they had in this condo resort down there. And we were watching Isaac as he was playing in the, in the pool, and we were just enjoying ourselves. So we're, we're just sitting there enjoying ourselves, and, and five feet in front of our chairs, these two moms start having a discussion, okay? And it's about their children. One mom says to the other mom, your kid is knocking my kid down. And so this discussion starts to get a little bit heated, and before you know it, one of the moms has literally begun swinging punches at the other mom while her little one is clinging to her leg. And now, I mean, there are people running, okay? The one woman's husband, and then all these, these big guys start coming from nowhere. And all, I, I mean, we're, we're just like... We're, t- we're two average-sized people, you know, and we're, we're getting a little nervous, okay? This is all taking place right at the, at the foot of our chairs. And so I'm, I'm just like, whoa, whoa, and people are starting to yell for security, okay? The problem is that all the security guards have been recruited from Russia, and none of them speak English. True story. Absolute true story. And so this one, somebody started calling for security. This lady was, who was being obviously a little bit aggressive, she calmly goes over to her stroller, packs up everything and all of the group that was with her, and they slowly, I mean like no big deal, and just walked away so that they could get away before security came. And, and this, this, this husband and her wife, I mean, they were shell-shocked. And so I, I said to the husband, I said, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm sitting right here. I was five feet from everything. And when security gets here, if you need anybody to vouch for the story, I said, I saw the whole thing. And so the security people, which gratefully did speak English, came and, 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 um, and they came up to me and said, sir, you know, why don't you tell us what you saw? And so I, I, liter- I shared the entire story and I I'm a storyteller. This is a good story, okay? I got to share every day. And the guy goes, this is the best description of anything that's happened in this park all week. <laughs> I mean, I gave him details, okay? Um, but I, I was giving a testimony of what I saw happen, and I was qualified because I was right there and I could see it. And God, through Jesus, has called Jesus' followers to tell what they've seen and experienced of Jesus because they've been firsthand witnesses. Those 500 were firsthand witnesses. You and I are witnesses. We've been born through the Spirit. We've had an experience with God through the power of the Holy Spirit, and we can testify in a legal sense to what we have experienced. 
You say, Pastor, I don't know if I can do that. People might disagree with me. I'll tell you what, there's an old saying that I really like, and that is this, that the person with an experience is never at the mercy of a person with an argument. It's your experience. They cannot deny it. It is the truth of God living in you, and you can tell them exactly that. Man, I'm excited about that. We've been given a mandate to disciple, to preach, to send, and to witness. And if we're going to reach effectively, we've got to recognize that we've been given a mandate. So here's the second thing that we need. Now we're back to the main points, okay? That was, that was a sermon within a sermon, okay? Now we're back to the main points. Point number two, here's what we need. If we're going to reach effectively, we need a method, okay? Now, when we lived in, uh, in Erie, Pennsylvania, out east... There was a guy in the church whose name was Larry Taylor, and that's my dad's name, okay? So we had this really fun connection, okay? He, he wasn't married. He didn't have any kids. And so I, here I am, you know, 10 hours away from my dad, 12 hours away from my dad. It was great. And so a couple of different times, he, he invited me to go uh, to Happy Valley in Pennsylvania to watch uh, the Penn State a team play against my Wisconsin Badgers, okay? And so this was just really fun. And both times we were there, between the car and the stadium, I noticed something. There were huge placards. I mean, massive signs, but they, they weren't on a post. People were holding them. And those people had, uh, they had megaphones, and, and they, were, they were preaching, Anybody ever see that before? And they were preaching the judgment and condemnation of God. People weren't lining up. You know what I'm saying? They weren't lining up. I've seen that once here in Marquette. One time I've seen that. That is for some a method of preaching the gospel. If Silver Creek's going to start using that as a method and we say we need 100 volunteers, Katie, you think we're getting 100 volunteers for that one? I don't think so. I don't think so. But it's a method that some have used and it's something that God can call a person to you say, come on, oh, it's in the Bible. That's exactly what, what Jonah did in Nineveh. Only he didn't have a big sign and he didn't have a bullhorn to do it. But basically he walked through the city God called him to and he preached judgment against that city. And the Bible says that they repented. The Bible says even the king repented and that God heard their cry for forgiveness. Now there's a lot of different types of methods. This last week, Jane Peranto here from Silver Creek, she uh, had what's called Pony Camp. I know some of the Drayton girls helped out at Pony Camp. Raise your hand, girls, if you helped out at Pony Camp. Awesome. Three of you right there, they helped out at Pony Camp. My wife did the crafts at Pony Camp, okay? She, she loves crafts. And so they, Jane had a dozen or, or 15 kids from the community, and they came to her, her little farm for pony camp, and they, they learned about horses, and they learned about Jesus. That is called a method. Are you with me? You may not be called to pony camp, okay? But that is a method of sharing the gospel. I want you to understand that. 
In Mark chapter 10, verse 45, Jesus said that he did not come to be served, but to serve. And in the King James, the word is actually minister. In Philippians 2, the apostle Paul is speaking of Jesus being in very nature God, and he took on himself the form of what? A servant. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 16, Jesus said, In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Over the past uh, several years, this method of serving has, has really intensified in our lives. But it's been here since long before I got here. Uh, next month, my family and I will have been here for 16 years, but this, this uh, call to serve, this method of serving has been something that, that, that's been in this church for many years, since really, I think, its beginning. The ministries of the block party and Silver Creek Thrift have led us to begin partnering with other agencies to help make us more effective, new threads of hope, be the tool Feeding America, those are partners that are helping us to take big steps in advancing in our understanding of spreading the message of the gospel. Jesus talks in Matthew 10, 42 about a, giving a cup of cold water in his name. In Matthew 25, beginning at verse 35 through 36, and then verse 40, Jesus said this, For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came and visited me. The king will reply, Truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. As a body of believers, a big part of our reaching is serving the needs of others. Now, we can do this individually, and we can also do it corporately. Yesterday, or Friday, I was riding, um, actually, it wasn't my bike, I have to be honest, it was Isaac's bike, because mine was too hard to get at, and so I decided I'd take his bike out, and since he's bigger than me, I knew I could ride his bike, and um, and so I'm riding, and I'm on the, I'm, I'm, I've gone around uh, Presque Isle, and I'm, I'm on the backside along the lake, and, and there's a guy walking, and he's carrying his bike, okay? He's carrying it. And I, I'm thinking, this is odd. And so I got past him. I'm, I'm slow, okay? I, I got past him, and I thought, something's not right here, so I I slowed up, and I, I sort of spun halfway back around to him, and I'm talking to him, and, and I said, hey, I said, uh, what happened to your bike? And he said, it, it broke. Okay, so I'm thinking, why is he carrying it? He's not pushing it, or, you know, and he said, uh, he said it broke, and I said, well, do you have a phone? <laughs> I don't know, it's just what popped into my head. He said, yeah, I got a phone. He goes, do you have Uber? I said, <laughs> Do we have Uber? I have no idea if we have Uber in Marquette. Somebody help. Do we have Uber in Marquette? Is that? No. Okay. All right. I'm glad I didn't tell him yes. So I, I, I said, uh, you, you're thinking real fast, you know, and I got five miles to, to get back to my truck, okay? And I'm on about a 10-mile ride, so I'm halfway, in, you know, done with my ride. And so I said, would you like me to come back with my truck and pick you up. And he said, that would be great. 
So I realized this guy has no one else here because he called them. He's, he, he's, you know, and he's walk, carrying this bike. So, so I, I, I did my best, you know, to do my Lance Armstrong impression, and I got back to my truck as fast as I could, and, and I, I, I drove back, and I thought, oh, if this guy's gone, I won't even be upset because he just got a ride from somebody else, and I'm happy for him. And so I got back there, and I'm, I'm, I'm getting close to the island, and I'm, I'm just about at, at the, um, the power plant. He is standing in the middle of the road. Standing there because he doesn't want me to miss him. I told him I have a red truck. He sees my truck coming. He's in the middle of the road. You know, I mean, we're, he is. And so I, I pull over and we load his bike up, okay? And his name was Rob. Uh, he, he lives downstate. And um, he, he began to tell me a little bit of his story. He's from Holland, Michigan. He's on his way to Hancock to ride the Copper Country Trails, okay? And he just stopped off in Marquette just for a little, you know, just, you know, he wanted to just buzz around Presque Isle, and, and he didn't have his biking stuff on, but he's a, he's a, he loves, loves mountain biking. And, and, um, and I said, I looked at his bike, and I said, well, I can tell this is not an entry-level bike. He said, I got a great deal on this bike. He said, I got a great deal but I, I, I paid $3,200 for this bike. I said, what happened? He said, I, I was, I was uh, on, on the, the backside of the island there, and I positioned my bike. Do we have that picture? The first one, the, the bike, okay? He's taking a picture, right? You see that? How nice that is, $3,200 bike. And he said, the very next second after I took that picture, my foot slipped and I knocked the bike off the cliff. Show the next picture. There's the bike. <laughs> he had boat shoes on. He somehow shinnied down and, and got that and drug that bike back up. He was dirty. He gets in my truck, and he said, honestly, I'm just trying not to cry. He said, thank you so much for giving me a ride. He said, can I buy you a beer? <laughs> open doors, Lord, open doors. <laughs> I said, no. He said, can I pay for your gas? I said, no. I said, let's just say this, that it's one guy doing something nice for another guy. And he said, I can take that. I said, send me those pictures. He goes, you can tell this story. I said, I'm going to guarantee I'm telling this story. <laughs> I said, I'm a preacher. He goes, really? You mean you like have a church around here somewhere? Like, Isn't that normally what preachers do? <laughs> we, can, we can touch someone one at a time. We can do that. I'm telling you, I was doing that in the name of Jesus. And, and you know what? As a church, we can touch many significantly, or we can all get together and, and touch one together that just blows their minds. Last summer, we did a roofing project. We're going to do some more roofing this summer. A bunch of people come together, and they touch one person or one family all of those 
backpacks that are out there. We are going to get together as a church, reach out and effectively touch a massive number, hundreds of families together. Later this summer when we do Feeding America, we are going to get together and together we are going to touch 250 families by giving them food with no strings attached. That's what we can do. We can reach together and be effective. But we got to agree on a method. Number three, we need the right motivation. You know, the church can lose track of the right gospel. Paul talked about it. He said to the Galatians, I'm, I'm really surprised that so quickly you've left the gospel for a gospel that is really no gospel at all. They were, they were being confused by a group of people that said, you know, along with being saved, you also need to be circumcised and then you'll really be a good Christian. And so they were, they were taken off track. We have to be careful not to allow ourselves to be taken off track. And I want you to know that there are people, Paul said, I'm not going to read the scripture from Philippians, but there are people who preach the gospel for motives that are not even right. Paul said some of them are out of selfish ambition. Some of them are trying to stir up trouble for Paul himself. Paul said, I don't care why they preach the gospel as long as they preach the gospel. Because the most important thing is that we preach the gospel. That's the important thing. And so as we we unite together, our motivation needs to be to proclaim the gospel. Jesus, when he was asked about the greatest commandment, he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And I think as the church, if that is our motivation, then we can serve together whatever method we've agreed upon. And I believe that God is glorified, God is honored, and Jesus is lifted up, and people are drawn to him, we can do that as the church. It's not to look good. It's not to have the biggest events. It's not about pride or competition. It's about simply loving God and loving people. And number four, we need a message. Now, if I mention the name of a church to you, you might know their message. Okay? I'm going to mention two churches. One of the churches, the, the name, there's a, denominal, a denominational name in their name, but they are not affiliated with any denomination. Okay, is that clear? Everybody has me, okay? So if I, if I mention to you Saddleback Church and Pastor Rick Warren, what comes to your mind? Anything? Purpose-driven life. Okay, he wrote, he wrote the book, The Purpose Driven Life, that has sold a, a bajillion copies, okay? And, and they, they, they have been all about helping people find their purpose in God. Another big thing that they have done, and they have proclaimed this publicly, is to end world hunger, okay? A church, end world hunger, okay? But if I said to you, Westboro Baptist Church, would that bring up images in your mind of what their message would be? Their message actually is on placards, and they do use bullhorns. And they preach a message of condemnation on 
not I, I'm everyone. When we mention the name of a church, there's a message that's attached to it. What do people associate? What message do they associate with Silver Creek Church? We need a message. The Bible's full of examples of God giving a message to people. He gave a message, as I said to Jonah, he said, go proclaim the message that I've given you. In 40 days, Nineveh will be overthrown. He did it. They repented. John the Baptist had a message. He said to the Pharisees, you're a bunch of whitewashed tombs full of dead men's bones. He told them to repent that the kingdom of heaven was near. He said, make straight the way of the Lord. Jesus had a message. I've come to seek and to save the lost. Peter had a message. He told the Jews, you've killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. You need to repent. Paul had a message. Take the gospel to the Gentiles. God gives us a message. We have a message to speak to this world. And the message is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Luke chapter 24, it says, He told them, this is what is written, The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. Repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. This is the message that God has given us to tell the world that God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And that gospel never changes. Methods may change, but the message never changes. Over the past month, we've said that Silver Creek Church is a place to belong. It's a place to come together, a place to give together, a place to connect together, a place to grow together, and now a place to reach together. In case you haven't noticed it, there's a common theme through all of those messages, and the word is together. Do you practice coming and giving and connecting and growing and reaching together? If not, I want to challenge you because I believe that you're really missing out on a part of your life, a part of being effective in your life in those areas. If you've never felt like you belong to a church before, I, I want to tell you, this is your chance. This is your opportunity. This message, even among these messages, this message is so important because when we reach together, there is something that happens in the body of Christ and we feel more a part of it than we ever have before when we get in and we put skin in the game and we start reaching out to others. God really does something in our relationships with one another. If you feel disconnected from the church, this is your answer. In reaching together, we're going to gain a sense of belonging. Silver Creek Church is a place to belong. That's the reality. And God has called us to it. Would you stand with me? Come on, let's stand. I want to pray for you today. God has called us and he is calling us to some ever-increasing, amazing stuff. I believe that he has great plans for us as a church, and it's because he has great plans for you as an individual. And together, when we 
reach together, when we come together, when we give together, when we connect together, when we grow together, God does more through us corporately than he does the sum of our individual parts. Father, I pray today for these people. I pray, God, that that literally that you would begin a work in us to take us to the next level. Not, 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 when, not a level of superiority, but a level of serving. Father, I pray that you take us to the next level of coming together, that you take us to the next level, Lord, of giving together, that you take us to the next level of connecting together and growing together and reaching together. Father, I believe that you have a plan for us as a church. And that plan is a plan, Lord, to take the message of the gospel to a lost world. And you have called us. You have provided a mandate, a call. You've sent us, Lord. You have called us. You've given us a message, O oh God. And I pray that we would not sit in our seats and do nothing, but that we would engage our lives and our hearts and that we would begin to reach together a lost community. Father, I thank you. I thank you because I believe if we will step out that the results will be unbelievable. And Lord, I believe that better things are yet to come. I believe that you are indeed the God of this city and that you are moving in this place, waiting for us to engage our hearts. Father, we thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.